0: All right, welcome to Old Town, New World. Uh, We're here in Old Town, Rock Hill, South Carolina at Millstone Pizza, and I'm Jason Broadwater. We're here to talk about the ever-changing world of small town USA. Today, I've got a guest uh, by the name, well, first of all, I have behind-the-mic Micah as always, Silent Micah. How you doing, Silent Micah? Very well said. Very well said. I also have with me Mr. Jim Vining. Welcome, Jim. Glad to be here. Jim lives here in Rock Hill. And Jim is on the school board in the Rock Hill School District. And I'm sure Jim, you have all other uh, all kinds of other things you do in your life. I'm sure you don't just leave the school board and go into a closet and wait till the next school board meeting. So, I'm eager to hear what else you've done professionally and 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 your journey in your life, but Let's start here, are you from Rock Hill?
1: I'm originally from Tryon, North Carolina.
0: Tryon, North Carolina,
1: so what brought you to Rock Hill? Uh, the paper industry. Huh. Uh, I was working in uh, Florida, and came up to what was then Bowater, and um, finished my career at Bowater as an area manager, although it was no longer Bowater when I finished it, it was Abitibi-Bowwater, oh, which, which now it's resolute. I never knew how to pronounce abitibi yeah. Uh Most people had a hard time, but you know, when I came here, Everybody put an S on it. Oh, really? It was always Beau Waters. Well, that's what you do in Rock Hill. Yeah. It's Walmarts. Or Kmarts. You know K-Marts. Or, yeah. Yeah. You're right, you right. Waters. Yeah.
0: So that's, yeah, that's normal. And so you were, what were you
1: in? Uh, operations, sales? I, I was in, started out in, in, in environmental and then technical service and then uh, operations. Okay. Are you, uh, What did, did you get a degree in some? I, I actually went to North Carolina State uh, oh. to get a, a, a chem, chemical engineering oh, yeah. Uh, discipline related to the paper industry. So, oh, wow. so my specialty was the paper industry. Did you know? I
0: mean, how did you know that the paper industry would be a good place to get a job when you went
1: Well, you know, that's interesting. Um, originally, I wanted to uh, be in forestry because I like working outside. So then
0: you try to cut all the trees down and turn them into paper. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. It, it, yeah. uh,
1: but. Um, I did a research paper in high school, and as part of the research, we went to the Acoustic Papers in Brevard that made Bible paper and cigarette paper, and we went to Champion paper in and Cant- and Canton that made um, uh, envelope stock and yeah. cardon stock.
0: I'm very familiar with Canton. I
1: lived up in Asheville for eight <laughs> years. So. <laughs> and so, um, and then when I went to uh, NC State, actually, I was in forestry, and the pulp and paper section is in the forestry school in an orientation and orientation you know they got up and said well we had um, 60 forestry graduates last year and we had two of them got jobs and you know and it was so much and they said in pulp and paper we had 15 graduates they all had five offers and it was the highest uh paying major at the university wow and so i said you know Sounds like maybe I need to switch because I like chemistry and math too, and so I switched to orientation. How in the world were you wise enough at 18 to even care? Uh, because I knew I, I was paying for my ah, college ed- education. And when you're minding your money, you know yeah. how important that is. Yeah, okay, that
0: makes all the difference. Yeah, that's very cool. Okay, good. So that brought you to Rock Hill, when? In 1978. 1978. Uh, you were about a one year old, Two I think. years old. Oh, two years old. Yeah. <laughs> I was already, I started this podcast when I was two years old, so um, very cool. And then, uh, so you spent your career here, and uh, your kids went through the school system, I guess.
1: Went all the way through Heavenport, Sullivan, and Northwestern. All three of them did. And they, unfortunate or not, they went, all went to Clemson, and uh, then they went to other places after Clemson. Yeah. Okay, so you're not a Gamecock fan. Well, you know, I support all the schools. I, I like them all. I've got a sister-in-law that's a die-hard Gamecock fan. Her uncle was the head of the pharmacy school down there. So, so you have to be careful. Yeah. You know, I've learned a long time ago. You you, you don't worry about your allegiances. You, you just support everybody unless they're playing you. That's funny. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> so, um, Winthrop football still undefeated. I, I, that's
0: that's good news. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah, and I guess soon we'll find out how long they're gonna be undefeated. Yeah, right. We'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll talk. We're gonna talk about that in a minute, hopefully. So, so let's get to uh, when did you uh, run for and join the school board? Uh, November
1: '98 was was the first time, and I've been on ever since. And that's an elected position. It's an elected position. Is right. it partisan? Do you have to pick a party. It's nonpartisan. Nonpartisan. Okay,
0: that's good. I think it's kind of weird when you have to like don't coroners and sheriffs have to pick a party.
1: <laughs> uh. It, I think they all do, except yeah. the school board, and, and it's not consistent in state. Some places, like Chester County, is a partisan election. Huh. All of them in York County is nonpartisan. So. Well, wasn't there an initiative a few years back where some people were trying to make it where you had to pick a party? Some of the legislatures had suggested, and I think the Republican Party in New York County had recommended it, but ultimately Home Rule won out, Good. and the decision was let the individual school districts decide. If they want to make it uh, a partisan, role. well, I'm a, I'm big pro home rule, you know,
0: in that regard. So I think that's a good thing. I, what would be the mo, what would be the argument for
1: making people decide? I mean, pick a party. Oh, well, I think maybe the you need to have somebody on that, from a party to tell you to like tell that. You that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I've never
0: understood. I guess I mean obviously the you know the kind of accusatory thing would be that oh they're just trying to stack party power and have influence and all that, but um. I guess there's legitimacy in the idea that if you knew somebody's party, you maybe would have a your head around how they might approach things, maybe because obviously
1: of it. I think that's one of their objectives. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: So, um, so school board since ni- uh, 98, you said.
1: Right. And that's how many years now. I'm in my 17th year.
0: 17th year. Wow. You've seen a lot change.
1: I have seen change probably not as much as uh, I realized oh, because when you're in it, you don't notice right. as much change. Certainly, um, we were our, we were one of the first districts to make the initiative into technology, which was in the early 90s. Yeah. But you know, technology changes every year and a half. You know, so that's been a big change, and we've we've gone from classroom computers now to individual student devices.
0: Well, let's talk about that. So the big one-to-one initiative, I guess uh, Lynn Moody was kind of pushing, or at least the figurehead of that around here, she was kind of pushing that initiative, uh, Lynn Moody's uh, previous superintendent in the schools, and um, I mean, that seemed to be a big success. It raised a lot of money, got implemented to some extent in the schools.
1: Well we implemented uh, iPads in fourth grade through ninth grade. Okay. And with the bond passage, the $110 million bond passage this year, which we're getting laptops. For the high school, Uh, we're going to implement the iPads in the third grade. Oh, cool! And so uh, it hasn't been all the way through, mainly because of finances. Right. Yeah. And the the 110 million dollar bond actually is going to be a shot in the arm for technology in the schools because it frees up some existing money. Right. It's going to allow us to spend up to 25 million dollars on technology all through the schools over the next five years. So yeah. So we're uh, expecting big things from technology initiatives
0: yeah that's great
1: I mean the point is uh,
0: access and tools I mean you know I I think education has changed and I'm probably stating the obvious here but you know it seemed to be it used to be kind of repositories of knowledge you go there and they hand you the knowledge and then you leave now you have the knowledge then it became like um, more experiential like we're gonna education is for you to kind of have an experience an educational experience and now it seems to be, hey, here's a problem, at least it, it is when I've been involved in it recently, here's a problem, use all your tools and access to figure out some type of solution for this problem.
1: Well, technology that can go in a lot of different ways. Uh, technology by itself doesn't help education. Right, doesn't help it, anything. It, it, it's a tool, it, 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 it's, it's a tool, so. Uh, People do everything. If you look at Mooresville, who by test scores, are probably the most successful district in this area. And and they use the technology as a portal to online assessment. And basically they have their kids doing repetition assessment, which I just saw a recent study, if you want to learn stuff, repetition over and over, right. you know, is and so like a language yeah. or in math. You know. Some people will say that's teaching to the test, but it is Using the new technology to make the old school methods better, yeah. and by the tests, which really most of our tests have not changed, most of our most of our tests are still recall. Right. Yeah. And so, for education to make a dramatic leap, if we're going to have all these high stakes tests, we got to change the tests from memorization to problem solving and yeah. or, 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 or or a question. That you allow them to use the technology to find it because we all know now, with the internet, information is almost free. Right. Yeah. Where before you you know you can find you know you had to have buy a book now right. it's it's available online and so it's not as important to have the recall when you have a handheld device yeah. access, that they yeah. can access to it. So and I tell the story uh, Walter Brown who's a, he tells the story that when he first went to school, they had to, the kids had to learn how to start the fire in the potbelly stove. Uh, you, you know, he went to a school in Leslie, and so that was part of the, the task. You don't have to learn that, yeah. you know, and it's crazy. And so you gotta go on to something else. That knowledge of, of how to build a potbelly stove fire is not needed. And you, we have to decide how much of this information is something that needs to be recalled, or how much can we, allow people to depend on device. Right, yeah, based on
0: kind of utilizing that access. I mean, I know in my, um, I I taught ninth grade English for four years, and um, that was a powerful experience. It was up in Marion, North Carolina, I don't know if you even know that, but um, it was a very powerful experience. And uh, Then when I got here, you know, one of the things we did was create the Hive, so we were kind of running a training environment for uh, college students, you know, um, but we didn't, in the Hive context, and especially at work, when when we hire somebody, we don't sit down and say, here's how you do this, here's, how, here's what you need to know about this. We, day one, say, here's a problem. I don't know exactly how to solve it. Here's some, some help. That guy's a resource. Use the Internet. But figure out this problem and come back to me
1: and tell me what you got. And that's the key. Education has got to be problem solving, collaboration, communication, and, and knowing how to utilize the, the tools that are available to do that. Um, but you're exactly right, and um, some of the things we're doing in education probably is not helping that. And they, you're a lot younger than me, but when I came through elementary, all the recesses were free time. Right. The kids had to figure out, and most of the part, the kids had to figure out if they're gonna play in a group or play individually and organize their own games. And so, you know, we talk about we need collaboration now. We probably had more collaboration back then, wow. maybe not related to the school. Yeah. And now, for good, for good reasons, we have, uh, you know, we have things organized so the kids get a certain amount of physical activity, maybe learn something. But it's adult-led more, more so than it is student-led. And I talked to uh, a teacher who was teaching one of our CBL classes. She said it was very hard to empower the children to lead the discussion for a lot of reasons. She gets graded on how well they perform on tests. Right. And so now she has, now she had the guide. And she said ultimately her kids uh, did well on the test. But in a system where legislatures want well, to take the, the kids' tests and grade the teacher by it. And, and it's a real leap of faith for these teachers to, to try something different.
0: You know, I, I was, when I was teaching is when no child came through, and it changed everything. They cut, started cutting out all of our field trips, all of our experiential things, all the stuff. So I figured out, and I, you can say this is right or wrong, but, but I thought it was a good idea. People say, oh, we don't, shouldn't be teaching to the test, this, that, and the other. I threw that notion completely out of the window. I told the kids, "Look, there's going to be this assessment. You need to be smart enough, savvy enough, to ace that assessment. Aside from that, we're going to learn all kinds of stuff." So I, I was just blatant to the kids about, "Look, we're going to learn like we had learned before, but you got to pony up and, and and knock this test out of the park." So I'm going to show you how to do it. You know, and I think that was actually a valuable life skill.
1: It is because that is life, but. We can't change education till we change what's on the test. Mm. You, you, the skills that we we say the 21st century learner needs has to be Im- embedded in the test. You have to use those to do well. Have you ever heard of uh,
0: there's this concept called unit test development? It's 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 like programming, computer programming. It's an idea, and, and it's very prevalent now. Where before you develop anything, and I don't mean some giant app case, I mean any little component of anything. You write the test that's gonna test whether it works first, and then you do it, and if it passes the test, you move on uh, to the next item. So you say, oh, when I click this button, it's gonna open this other page and auto-populate my email address into a field. You write the test, and then you do all your development, you run the test, if the test works, boom, you're off and running. So it's like, like you're saying, you start with the end in mind, you build it into the test,
1: based on what you're supposed to be learning. Yeah, and and of course I don't know how many people have this skill set, but you know, it's kind of going on. Stanford and Harvard were some of the first colleges to put all their classes online. And when they first did it, they just taped the professor talking in class and put that online, and they allowed people to sign up. And they found out that a lot of people signed up, but almost nobody passed the test. It's very difficult to watch an hour lecture online. And so at least in Stanford's case they broke the the class into like 3 and 4 minute sections and they gave an assessment after every section. And so you know, you'd watch it you if you didn't pass the assessment they made you go back and watch it before they let you get to the All next right, one. Wow. And so it progressively, you know, went through went through the class. And what they found was doing that same information started out with an hour lecture and they broke it up into 3 and 4 minutes. They found out that the people who signed up, you know, more than half would complete the course.
0: Well, it's like a feedback loop, you know? Instead of waiting till the end, you get to engage with what you're learning
1: earlier, you know what I mean? I think it's a good good thing, good approach. So, you know, if you can, now, they don't give you credit, but you can take the class. That's cool. But with Harvard and Stanford making up most of their classes, if not all of them, available online, the ability for somebody to learn the information at home is, is limitless. I mean...
0: Yeah. Well, well, let me ask you this.
1: There's a lot
0: of people that have a lot of good ideas about things we could be doing in the education system. And, uh, and it's fortunate that, that we have so much of an abundance of funding, we just have money dripping all over us to spend on education, just zillions of dollars to do this. So, um, considering that we have unlimited funds. I'm sure we could come up, but let's say that we don't have unlimited funds, and let's quit being sarcastic for a second and say that funding is a serious, serious issue. You know, how do we approach creating change when we can't fund the status quo? How about stating that question another way? All right. How do we, if we got all these great ideas, how do we implement any of them when we can't fund the
1: ones that are already supposedly implemented. Well, I know you're being sarcastic about the money, and there's another side to that, and what I'll, which I will tell you. When I came on the board, and that was the first year of PAC testing. Okay. And we met with the legislatures, and all the educators said, this is a bad test. And so we asked them, why do you want this, and they said, because education is the biggest item. In the state budget we do not believe it's being the money is being spent correctly all over the district we want to use this test as a feedback mechanism now the logic of that was wrong but um, that's what they did anyway today in south carolina was one of the first tests to have testing like this before no child left behind So now, across the country, because No Child Left Behind, testing is a billion dollar industry. Wow. And testing companies are driving legislator decisions because they have the lobbyists. So we may not ever get out of this testing cycle, Um, but that high stakes testing is a major barrier to innovation and doing things no, I differently. I agree with you, man. And, I, and it's interesting. Not
0: only is the test a problem, but also I think that when you microman, when we try to micromanage from our legislator's legislator seats, it's such a bad idea. I, I hear uh, politicians come out with a new plan they want to improve education, and they're, like, getting real specific. Because people demand. They're like, well, tell us your specific plan. But here they're trying to, like, determine what a teacher needs and should do and, all this. and I'm thinking you know you're not an educator you know nothing about that can't we have more hands-off version and say hey guys locally you guys have this amount of money and you need to meet these requirements and y'all need to figure it out
1: yeah but I think maybe some past history effect. you know hurts that oh really um, people not but, handling but, it well but, locally but, you know this common core argument that came up last year or maybe a year and a half ago Um, the world's different Um, when I first got on the board we didn't have really good consistent standards uh, amongst all our elementary schools they they all weren't in the same place didn't do the standards at the same place so if you moved around town you might get the same math twice now but we are you know, certainly a national society, if not global. And for Rock Hill to attract people, somebody from Illinois, or as I heard you say, Illinois, um, needs to know that when they move somebody from the fourth grade and they come to Rock Hill, They're at the same place. So that consistency is a powerful thing. It's an economic driver. Yeah. And so I understand there are a lot of people that say there shouldn't be national standards. Each state should have their own. But for Rock Hill, it's important. We're trying to get businesses to come here and people to relocate and move here. It's important for them to know that their kids, when they're going to be able to integrate right into our schools and be at the same place having the same subjects. And, and that shouldn't be a barrier for a business to come or a family to move. And, and, and see,
0: I think you can have both. Like, I think I believe in, in national consistencies like Common Core, but I think you should say, okay, guys, here's a national consistency. Here's your money. Y'all figure it out.
1: Well, as long as you do the same thing. And a good example, and, and uh, we had Ron Berger come speak to the district several years ago. He's Who's now Ron. Well, he, he's now a consi- uh, consultant, but he was a teacher in a very small school district in Massachusetts. He'd been teaching for 25 years. The only tests they gave were the tests that were required by the state or the federal government. Everything was project-based, and, um, but, and in fact, the school was so small. He said some years I had multiple grades in my classroom. Oh wow and they would have a project, they would start during the year, usually a uh, community service type project, like they'd go to a park and catalog all the animals in there, or all, all, and they'd write a a book, get it published, or or the the, uh, state park system would, would pay to have it done. They'd go to the local college, use the local college's equipment. So these kids were learning how to use a computer, spreadsheets, how to use lab equipment. They were working together, collaborative, uh, and, but the standards were embedded into their project. That's uh, cool. And the other thing, their philosophy was, most school systems are one and done and that's by testing. You take the test and it's over. Right. What they did was, uh, they pride themselves on excellence. If, if somebody had something to do, they'd teach the kids to critique it. Okay. And they critique it, and, and they, there's an example on the web about the, the butterfly the, using the first grade class and how the child draws the butterfly and then the kids say, well, you need this, you need this, and they oh, come okay. back and come And after many iterations, it really looks like a nice butterfly. And, and so the objective should be not one and done, but excellence. Yeah. And, and they take- t- and, 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 The and, and, and both from the receiving and the giving in. Yeah. And so that's what they concentrate on at that school. Now, because they're not repetitive, um, I don't think their kids, when they do the national test, blow the test out because right. that's not what they concentrate on. But their kids do very well on the test because they've learned the standards. And, and you know, if I wanted my kids to go to a, a different school, I would think they would be learning lifelong skills they could apply in business, uh, you know, anywhere. Yeah. And, and so it's not just you know test. I remember. Uh, One of my sons was graduating from Clemson and they had a little ceremony and the professor says, you you know, most of you kids are here because you're here for awards and and said, let me tell you, this is the last time that makes any difference and said, when you get out in the real world, you've got to produce. You can't just pass the test. But when you think about it, so much of our education is for the rewards It, it, It rewards. you know, there's an article recently that education is suited for girls. Because we, they want girls to sit still, you know, or they want kids to sit still in class, behave, and where boys tend to have a difficult time with that. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, they say boys now are at a disadvantage.
0: Well, what did uh, Einstein say? Um, everyone's a genius, but if you judge a fish by how well he can climb a tree, he'll live his life thinking he's an idiot. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, I think a lot of people have said that. Uh, uh, Dr. Deming, who um, I was able to to hear him before he died. You know, he's the one that Japanese credit for turning them around. Oh, wow. Uh, the U.S. military credits him for getting our industry up to speed for World War II, oh, wow. he, using statistics. Wow. He was a mathematician. And he was not a fan of the American education system. Really? I mean, he his point was the grades are designed to make all the students fit into, in our case, 180 days, fit into this model. And he used to tell the story that um how would you like to go on an airplane and you get up in the air and the pilot what? says, You'd be happy to know I just got my pilot's license. <laughs> I made a hundred on takeoffs, but only fifty on ah, landings. Nice. It, yeah. You know, and so you that's average funny. that. And that's kind of you know, it's a simplification of what grading does. And his point was everything should be competency-based. Yeah. Is that if you have a standard, you shouldn't allow anybody to move on until you that person has a hundred percent confidence in that standard. That's interesting, yeah. And, and that in, you know in
0: individualizes education. I think along a lot of ways we're moving towards a lot more individualization yeah, around it. And
1: education. technology is a tremendous tool for that. Yeah. For example, I mentioned Morrisville, and, and we're heading that way uh, with, with our um, comp, comp, or me, campus system we're putting in. Each student essentially in Morrisville has an account and they're tracked. And so every, the student knows where their progress is, through online assessment and and kind of schedules what they should do and make sure they stay on track. and and, and but if they fall behind, they stay on that material until they get caught up. Oh. Oh, excuse me.
0: Let's go back to um uh, the example you were talking about where the guy did projects in the community and whatnot. I, would, I you know I do a lot of speaking on economic development and um you know I have all these ideas and 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 people always say well okay, these are great, we love it, but like, where do we start? What do we do? And I always say, start with K-12 for a couple reasons. First of all, it's because, um, you know, my son is in the, going into sixth grade. Well, in 12 years, he'll be the workforce. In 12 years is not a long time, right? So we gotta really think bigger, you know? But secondly- The workforce he's going in is, is probably not even there right now. Exactly, it'll be <laughs> totally different, yeah, in 12 years. So um, another reason is we have all these people K-12 colleges, universities, community college, all lot stuff that are being given arbitrary exercises to, and I don't mean arbitrary in a negative way, but they're made up things to do so that you can learn some type of skill or knowledge set or something so that when you encounter real situations, you'll be able to apply those things. And that's, you know, education. So we have hundreds, thousands of people doing arbitrary activity to try to learn skill sets. Why not have them actually
1: working on real things in our community? You know? Um, you know, that's interesting because, you know, like a place like Bowater, you had to be at least 18 to get in the plant. That pretty much eliminates the K through 12. And a lot of places are like that because of safety laws, because of insurance. But the biggest obstacle to do anything major for, for everybody, is i used to i tell the story that jim volvano used to say that when he was coaching nc state he knew he had an easy job because every time he went to coach a basketball game there was twenty thousand people telling him what to do when i think about now every kid in our school district has parents who have been in the school system they have a, a a memory of what it was like so they become subject experts so the whole system is kind of resistant to change one of the reasons why we have focused on choice opportunities in our schools is a different thing than just the standard. Uh, in fact, we have more choice in Rock Hill than any of the school districts in the Upstate and, and maybe the state. Because, but it's not necessarily the project base, which I hope someday we can do that. But we, you know, we have foreign language immersion, which I think in a global society, when you, if you're bilingual, what what is that's a skill set that what, whatever you major in. It's going to make your resume look that much better. But we have gifted and talented. We have arts. Um, yeah. So these are we different
0: schools that have different focuses. Focus.
1: We have a we have STEM. And uh, and these are elementary school. Elementary and middle school. And middle. School. And we're looking at whether we need to, you know, to go to high school with these eventually, so that we can somebody can stay in that type course all the way through to the out. Right. Yeah, and, and STEM concentrates, they do a lot of project work, they do research, but they still are, it's not the project work like the Ron Berger's talking about, where all they do is project work. It's just, it's, they have to fit it in pretty much to the existing curriculum. I wish that we
0: would put kids on transportation. I wish they would solve uh, the state's transportation, uh, you know, we got a billion dollar shortfall in funding transportation because we're thinking about it all along. We're never gonna like stumble across a billion dollars. That's a billion dollars a year for 30 years. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, we're never gonna solve that. So we need to be thinking about totally different. I'm talking about solar roads and uh, high high speed passenger train connecting Charleston to Charlotte. You know, these kinds of things. I wish students were working on that kind of stuff. You know, fifth grader can add value to that kind of stuff. I'm telling you.
1: But but you know, um, that's pretty high level for students, but projects get them thinking about that. I mean, we now um, are recycling a large percentage of our waste. What used to be we had to pay somebody to take away, it's generating cash for our schools. Um, We also have energy management system that the kids aren't involved a lot, although they know the impact of it, that we have more energy certified school buildings percentage wise in any district in South Carolina. Wow, and of course of course that's saving money that we can apply to the classroom. But the kids though or are there different buckets? No, that comes out of the operations budget. That can would that, that would that would that. that would be the same budget that goes goes to the classrooms. And okay, so good. and so both the recycling and the energy conservation is generating more resources for the schools. But the kids, particularly with the recycle, because usually kids are involved in the collection at the schools their understanding and appreciation for recycling, and those are skills that they will carry on. Uh, and just like you mentioned, it, it, when they become productive adults, or even before, uh, they will be thinking, how can we return money from this? How can we you know, generate cash? Like, um, uh, you know, the uh, Sierra Nevada Brewery in Asheville, yeah. you know, they're one of the, uh, they have thought about that in their design. They got solar cells above the parking lot. They collect all the rainwater and they use it for toilets and. and Well, you know it's illegal right now. I mean, you you are
0: disallowed to sell energy back to the grid in the state of South Carolina. They're trying to change that. Somebody put forward a piece of legislation to try to change that. But how off base are we that we would not allow somebody to help generate energy? I mean, it would make so sense, so much sense, if every home and every building was contributing energy to the grid. Here we have. And I'm so boxed, so excuse me, but here we spend, we have so much energy pouring down on the top of our buildings from the sun that we have to spend all this energy combating that every day. It's so crazy.
1: Well, having worked on a large electrical consumer part and having to work with Duke Energy on the supplier side, you know, there is not an electrical storage box right. or tank. And so, when you have all these people, I'm not saying it shouldn't happen because a lot of places are doing it. It, it is a logistics nightmare for the energy supplier. So let's let the kids figure that out. Well, um, <laughs> you, you know, there are, you can figure it out, but it, it is it is very complicated uh, for the supplier. Well,
0: here's another thing about uh, how we could change education to be focused on local things. When I left Rock Hill after uh from high school, I knew nothing about this town, about this town, this place. I had no allegiance to it, no affiliation with it. I didn't want to come back, ever. And part of that's the juvenile experience of thinking your hometown's lame. Part of it's that Rock Hill was kind of lame, there wasn't much to do. But another part of it was that I was never introduced to the history of this place, what was going on in this place, how people are working to make it better. I was never part of any process. I was never bought into anything. I had no value to the place that I was in. We should learn the history of our neighborhood and our city as a core part of what, and we should be involved in improving the place where we live. I think that should be inherent in K-12
1: and In some ways we're doing that. Uh, they had a presentation last year at South Point where they had middle school kids at some Elementary uh, research the history of, of Rock Hill and they, they made presentations about, and they concentrated on the African American section of the town and they, they, they researched, got old pictures, the history of the town center mall and they put it all together so, you know, that is being incorporated in, in, in existing things, but you know, You've kind of touched on something a concern of mine. Is there is very little sense of community by adults.
0: Yes.
1: Now some of that is because they didn't grow up here. They just move here. They don't take the newspaper. Um, and I, I jokingly say air conditioning has killed the South because especially in summertime it's so hot. I mean we're not outside like talking. People. We're inside talking. Um, and from from school communication. It's very difficult to make contact yeah. with a large segment. You know, uh, less than 25 percent of the voting population in Rock Hill has any connection to the schools. Wow. Either they have a relative that works in the schools, they have a child or a grandchild. In fact, most of them, their grandchildren are going are living somewhere else, and so they don't take the newspaper. We don't have a local television station. Um, you know, we do have a radio station and but. Um, you know, to me, the technology. There's an opportunity, just like you're doing. And what to create connectivity. That's, and that's right. You know, yeah. getting information out, and but then the issue is, how do you get people uh, to watch it or to listen to it? Hard to care. Yeah. But, but it is a major concern. There, there is. Uh, we've lost the sense of community. We have um, organizations, and I've worked with several nonprofits trying to raise money. It's very difficult. We don't have the hometown businesses, that what make, makes a hometown strong, to sponsor things. We don't have the civic organizations, or at least we don't have the strong civic organizations we used to have. And can you be a good community without that? And, but the real issue is, in this day and time, with the changes in society, what do we have to do to get that?
0: know what
1: I think leaders need to stand up and
0: say look it takes a village to raise a child if you want to be in this village you can pitch in help raise these children otherwise you should leave I think we should be unabashedly um, in favor of and ha- have it in all of our language that hey this is something we're all doing together we're gonna raise the children of this village together and that way it would it would dominate conversations it would influence conversations around taxing. This, this. You know, when I did research to write my novel, which was in 1880s in Western North Carolina, there were people in those coves up there, the hollers, you know, they called them coves, that they would say- just be
1: careful, you're probably talking about my wife's relatives You're okay, talking yeah, about yeah, those yeah. coves, so just be careful. Well, they what would say, to say.
0: <laughs> there were so many people that would say, I, it's a crime to tax me to educate other people's children. Because um, they're thinking, so even back then, I this idea that like, it's not, your children are not my responsibility. And I think that, um, I don't think that we, it has, it's the case that, uh, that that used to be just like kind of, you know, wonderful and perfectly community centric, and that those were the golden ages and now everything's going to hell in hand, kind of thing. I think that it's always a struggle between those who believe that the public's welfare is each individual's responsibility, and those who don't, you know?
1: And that's always been the case. And, and uh, but you know, I'm going to brag on York county because the leadership that pushed forward and, and then got the vote passed on pennies for progress. Yeah. And it's passed several times since. Where would we be without that infrastructure, roads? Um, so, let me explain what that is, real
0: quick, for our millions of listeners out there, uh, especially for those in, in Europe and Asia and, uh, and whatnot. So, Basically, Pennies for Progress is a uh, one-cent sales tax. It was added on top of the state sales tax that goes specifically into doing uh, road road projects, infrastructure projects. It's all road, right?
1: New construction. New, constru- New construction. God, why don't we use it to fix the bridges and stuff? Well, and, and that's been a topic. I've gone to uh, Senator Hayes's meetings, and, and a lot of people have asked, why don't we change it? because now we're getting holes in some of these roads and the state didn't have the money that billion dollar shortfall you were talking about um, I think it's being talked about but you know we haven't met all our needs for new roads too so that, that's a difficult uh, solution I guess but then you look at the tourism tax you know if we didn't have that infusion where would we be without cherry Park with the velodrome with the BMX, with Manchester Metas, and you know, as a community with all these resources, you know, would we be talking about revitalizing downtown uh, the textile quarter if we didn't have these other things as assets to the community? And and so, but now, well, with my background in engineering, the world's black and white. Sometimes you know the world is actually great and the, but, but sometimes it's hard to be that visionary to see down the road and, and we're talking about initiatives that have been going on for a long time that have still not reached uh, their maximum potential but where would we be without that the, those visionary people in the
0: past? Well, no, I agree I mean I think that um, and that's why I'm talking about integrating the children into that process like if if the if kids at the high school and middle schools I mean my son I mentioned him my daughter too she's younger she's eight my son's 11 but my son and I he's a lot like me he loves big ideas he loves you know he he, he writes books he invents things and you know, he's just he's fascinating in that way but he and I, I I tell him about my ideas about connecting the whole state with high-speed passenger trains and you know uh, changing education for this stuff and he loves it he loves, and he got like goes in his room and like comes up with his own version of like creating amazing change and significant change. He loves the idea of being visionary. Whereas when I grew up, I thought that uh, pragmatism and boring suburbia was here. Visionary change and exciting things was somewhere else. So I need to go somewhere else, right? Well, that's not true, you know. And it's here. It's happening here. And I think the kids need to be a part of it as you know. So we're going to make that happen, Jim. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Um, so what what's the top of the list? Stuff's got to be addressed. What's the first thing on your mind? That's got to be fixed, addressed, improved for this
1: school district. Well, first off, what's on my list may not necessarily be on the school list. But, you know, and I, I need to clarify this. The role of the board member. It's not as education experts. Gotcha. Now we pick up stuff.
0: That's what I was talking about earlier. Not
1: trying to quarterback from afar. The role of the board is to go out and hire a superintendent who, either through management skills or their own expertise, is, is can produce education expertise. And, and yeah, and so um, you know, I would say I've, I've got personal opinions. In fact, my education things hard personal opinions, it's not necessarily what, when the superintendent comes on, it may not be what she says, and that's all right, yeah. but, but those are topics that we really don't discuss at board meetings, but um, I tried to stay up on what's going on, so and I have an opinion, which is not the opinion of most of the board. Oh, really? <laughs> well, but, is our board more uh, kind of uh, conservative, or more liberal,
0: or I don't, it's hard to say that really, that's a spectrum.
1: It, I would say our board is, is diverse okay, good. and you know we ha- and, and I have learned a lot from the board we have two members who went to school in segregated schools and have a perspective of the South before integration and, and have, have a love of education uh, and, and I think are pleased with where we've come. We have a board member that grew up in Sweden. So she has an international perspective yeah. and that, that adds a lot yeah, yeah. and in South Carolina there's probably not many boards that have that perspective. Yeah. Um, we have a board member that was, uh, was administrator, and, uh, and has tried a lot of things and so she has a drive to, um, she's on a mission to improve education in a hurry. In a hurry okay. and so uh, and then we have uh, two board members who uh, i'm gonna say bring a real conservative old school approach but, but th- that's not necessarily a bad thing right. and, and i think I, I made this statement last week we got an 80 year old board member and of course it's probably hard to find a school board that has an 80 year old board member but he uses twitter oh, right. and so you know not many 80-year-olds are use Twitter, and, 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 and he not only uses Twitter, but he's on the school board. So, um, it, it, it it's it's an interesting perspective. Um, but the issues we talk about are basically listening to the superintendent, and we'll ask questions. But it's not up to the board, you know, a, a strong change in direction needs to come from the administration with support from the board yeah I'm glad to hear you say that
0: I think that just I guess being in the private sector um, I just I think that every ship needs a captain and I think you got to have somebody that has autonomy enough to to, to create change and manage the goods of the status quo and affect change without it being a um, Constant rule by committee—you know about every little item—that just makes it so hard to get anything done.
1: Yeah, and, and being a public body, it's—it's it's hard to turn people loose. Um, you know, um, because you know we get covered by the press. Anything happens, you know, and, and, and you know it just gets tied in, and so my observation is because of that the management of schools is extremely conservative yeah. and whereas the image is that educators tend to be liberal but they work in a very conservative organization that resists any kind of sudden change for fear of upsetting the public
0: wow that's interesting
1: and i guess you don't want too much radical
0: quick change. I mean, so, sometimes slowness is a is a good thing. I mean, not too much slowness, but like in government and schools, because you don't want the rule of the mob. Like everybody comes in and radically changes everything, and then the next people come in and radically change it again, you know? So I guess having some conventional consistency within the institution is a good thing, right?
1: Well, it is, and, and why we've tried to implement change slow with our choice schools. right, And that way people have a choice to go somewhere else or take the traditional um, and you know did you go to parent school parent school parent school no well no, m- nobody did and, and of course I, I was on the early learning partnership for a long time and you know you get training for everything but you don't get training for being a parent uh, yeah, the most important. And, and, and so but you worry that you're doing the right thing and 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 uh, it's just you want what you had because you know how that outcome is, and it's, it's difficult. So ultimately, in the in the perfect system, is we'd bring all our parents, allow them to have some training. You know. Um,
0: well, is there? I mean, that's possible.
1: Well, we we actually, in fact, all the school districts in York county provide parent education. We have ours at Parentsmart. Now the perception is this is only for the underprivileged families, but it's for everybody. They provide education for parents, critical education about <clears throat> when you start reading to your child, how do you read to your child, um, you know, the important, you know, the benefit of being bilingual, how that changes the brain development, and and if you look at the brain development from a child from birth to seven, it's phenomenal. It, The brain development is is more rapid during those times than any other time in life. And you can do things for your children to improve that development, to make it, um, a a child that starts school with a limited vocabulary because they weren't exposed to it, will be handicapped for their whole life. A a child that's had had the opportunities while the brain's developed, the brain gets wired differently. That's why they say, you know, we start our, foreign language immersion in kindergarten but they'll say you need to start at three or four because the earlier you start the brain gets wired to be more receptive to learning another language and people who are bilingual will learn can learn multiple languages people who have a high vocabulary at an early age will because they know the words will have easier time reading and and so so do you have programs does the district have programs for like three-year-olds and stuff we allow uh, we have started putting in four-year-old programs on a uh, tuition basis, and, and to get them earlier. But I, I would say the one thing we could do, which really helps our, our poor families, would be the you know instead of concentrating so much at high school, if we take that effort to early education in some form and start at three and four. And, and I don't know when you started, you know, my kids went to day school at two, two, three, four, and five. And, and the kids that have a, that experience start out with a foundation. You look at the test scores, the kids that start out behind in kindergarten, for the most part, end up behind all the way through. And so...
0: And then when you get put into the GT or non-GT class, it starts to affect your socialization, it affects who's your friends, it affects who's your dating. I mean, it's amazing how these things uh, kind of almost determine people's life success in certain ways. I mean, not that the individual's not able to uh, rise above any any particular situation, but it creates like, different nor- sets of normal. And nor- normalization is one of the most powerful forces in the world. What you kind of see as normal, that's kind of... That's kind of what
1: you shoot for, you know what I mean? Maybe a little bit of a kind of thing. Most definitely. I mean, what you said is is, is true. And the best opportunity for success is starting at an earlier age. And the state of South Carolina has started to put a little bit of funding in, but there's a lot of opposition because those people didn't start until. All right. I mean, in fact, the kindergarten wasn't even available when I went to school. It started at first grade. And we've added kindergarten. We need to take abs- do you think
0: education Should be the same As when you were there I mean are we Traveling back in time What's going on That's a rhetorical question Right I know, Yeah <laughs> Right I mean that That seems crazy I, I'm going to bounce back To something You were talking about Pennies for Progress Not only is Pennies for Progress uh, Had a huge impact On infrastructure around here But To me It is a symbol It is, an, it is uh, Yeah a symbol Poster child Of the fact that we don't have to sit around and complain that the federal government should solve some problem or that the state government should solve some problem. We can come together and solve it ourselves. And that's what York County did. The leaders in York County did that with Penny Surbinders. We just said, look, we're just going to do it ourselves. I mean, is that fair? Well,
1: I, I agree. I think that's a, a, an I accurate can statement. And apply that
0: to education in, in so many ways. We could just start. And we do that, right?
1: We're working on that. Um, I don't think anybody would, would tell you that we're where we need to be. Uh, I don't think anybody would tell you that it's a quick fix either.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't think we'll ever be where we need to be, and that's the nature of constant improvement, right?
1: Well, that's excellence. Right. Uh, I mean, y- you're always working to improve where you are. Yeah. A- and I would say we could do better at getting feedback, making modifications. Um, I what think. If had a, uh, what if you had a quarterly State
0: of the community's Education Address? Um, where brought all these people together
1: and presented and I, I hate to tell you, but Dr. Pugh had four community meetings. And nobody showed up. Nobody showed up. Yeah. And, 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 and it just started in October, November, and she had them spaced out and, uh, you know, maybe 10 people came to one of the meetings. Yeah. And, and usually it was district people that were there to support the superintendent. And so, which goes back to the sense of community, the communications. But see, how, we can tap do do into,
0: that? yeah, That that's that's interesting. I, I, I deal with the same questions when I work with uh, communities on their economic development, and they're talking about the millennial generation. They say, hey, we have these community input things. We invite the millennial generation, nobody shows up. And I'm like, well, then what that says is that um, what you're offering, they don't have interest in it. And we can't just sit and blame them for not showing up, even though, you know, we would want to say they should show up, and that's fine. But if we just sit and blame them for not showing up, we, we keep the status quo rolling along. So... We've got to figure out how to get people engaged. And what I always recommend to communities about engaging the millennial generation, and this is different with the other generations and and the community at large, but I always say, guys, instead of inviting them to a committee meeting where you're gonna tell them what's going on, and then you're gonna say to them, hey, maybe you can do our social media for us because you're young, right? Um, You should instead give them a problem and a process by which that they can engage in helping solve that problem in the spaces where they operate more. So, like for example, you give a group of students at Winthrop a problem of how we could improve uh, walking, biking, and other non-car related mobility opportunities in the old town area here between Winthrop and Brock Hill, and you don't. You just let them solve the problem and reward them, have competitions, or whatever. But if people feel like they're going to just come, and I'm going back to what I said a minute ago, but if people feel like they're just going to come and be talked at about something that's going on, um, maybe that's not very interesting. But instead, if we can enter where they are and say, hey, what are you? Th- how would you solve this? What do you think about this? They might stay up late and work on it.
1: And that's a way to create some type of engagement at least. You know? Well, there's plenty of examples of that going on. In- in one of my discussions with educators, I talked to the CEO of high Tech High in San Diego, which is a project-based school. They don't have regular classes. Even in high school, they have two teachers. Wow. They have projects that have the different subjects embedded in them. They don't have AP calculus, they don't have all this stuff. But each, each group of students has to have a community project. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be in San Diego. In fact, one of their projects, you can find it online, they identified a problem of poaching endangered species in Africa. Wow! They raised the money. They went to Africa. And they. That they got the. the arrested they, all the dentists. They got the data. Well, they, they found out wherever they went, the major problem was poachers were were making beef jerky out of it. You know, as a business. Oh, wow. They weren't actually game hunters. They were people killing uh, endangered species to eat. Yeah. But and the local people didn't have the means to arrest them. So the students went back, looked at the problem, they came up with a simple DNA test, the equipment, they went back to Africa, trained everybody, gave them the equipment so that local authorities could, could had some ability to, to stop it, to arrest the people that were doing wow. it. And, wow. and I asked the guy, I said, how'd you fund that? They said, that's not my problem. I said part of the project is, and these are high school students, they had to figure out how to do it, they wrote grants, yeah, they, they, they.
0: See, I'm telling you, yeah. man. You
1: put problems in front of people, and they will solve them. You, you know, one of the issues we got a group that's working on community gardens. One of the projects at High Tech High was to develop a model community garden, put it in, and then sell it to San Diego the plans and help them organize. So that was the project. I'm telling you, Jim. Food, transportation, and uh, like
0: access to electricity, internet, whatever. Food, transportation, and access. Are the things that students
1: need to be working on? But we have got to get some flexibility from the people who control education at the state level.
0: Who is that? Well,
1: that's the legislature. They seem to be passing everything. How is uh, is Molly
0: gonna affect change? Molly
1: is a great superintendent. I like Molly. She's she's positive. She's focusing on sharing the success stories in the state. I think
0: she really. From my interactions with her, I did a project um, for her when she was the director of SCASA, and so I worked with her a lot in that context. Lynn brought me in to do that, and um, she seems to really represent the the teachers, the administrators. She seems to have empathy for what's going on, have her head around. i I'm just impressed with her.
1: Well, she's walked a mile in all those people's shoes, mile, right. and she understands, but she also has been a, in the legislature, she understands the obstacles. So, um, I don't know that, that her ability is to implement a lot of change, but I think there'll be a lot of support for change for people to do stuff, and, and I think she—I think she's, I say she's a breath of fresh air, but I think that it's not strong enough to what she means to public education in South Carolina. That's
0: good to know. Well, Jim, this has been an excellent conversation, now it's really uh, engaging and um, I think that we do a constant disservice to our own communities. When we talk about economic development, it's a passing thought of whether or not uh, K-12 should be at the table, whether we should include them. When we talk about community development, it's like, oh, maybe we should include K-12 too. I think we have to put K-12 at the center of everything that we're doing in our community. And the reason why is because of the cliche statement, the children are the future, and that's not some
1: far-off concept. I mean, they're like the immediate future, you know what I mean? Well, whether it will or not, your example about when you got through the schools here, you didn't want to come back. You yeah. didn't know anything about Rock Hill. Although you did finally come back, yeah. sort of.
0: Only because we <laughs> had a child and wanted to
1: raise that child near our memory. But um, Involving the students will give them a sense of community that I think is lost. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, they will get keep that sense wherever they go. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's and, true. They'll invest that in their new community if they move yeah. somewhere. I mean, you know, I wasn't raised here. Yeah. But I was grew up in a very small town, and you can say what you want to about a small town. There is a sense of community in small town because you know everybody. Yeah, right. And the bigger the town gets, you kind of lose that. Right. Uh, but I hope, think though that they're.
0: You get big enough, and there, there are neighborhoods and districts within larger towns that have the same sense of, like, communal connectivity and a smaller village that's like a district of
1: a larger town. Right, and that's what we need. Yeah. You know, break, if town gets big or the city gets big, you break it down into smaller communities. Yeah. And then, you know, if a project gets too big, you, you get them together. But I think we've kind of lost um, how to do that. Yeah. And, and if we can get the kids, a sense of community and maybe not make it necessarily specific to Rock Hill, but a sense of what it takes to be a community wherever right. it is then that'll be a, a life skill that will pay benefits down the road
0: Alright, last question
1: You wake up tomorrow morning and you are absolute king and
0: dictator of education in Rock Hill and the state of South Carolina and the nation What's the first thing you're going to do?
1: Uh, you know, I don't know that there is one single thing that would make it drastic. No silver bullet. Um, I, I guess my pet peeve, and I may offend some people, is that um, I believe the management structure uh, and from the state level, from the district level, from the school level needs to change to a more uh, participatory management style, one that's geared to excellence. You know, uh, There's a lot of schools now that say they're teacher-led schools. It kind of goes back to Deming's philosophy, that you know if you're gonna make a decision that affects somebody's job, you involve them in the decision, and um, it's kind of like you're subject experts. Because if you look at education anywhere, you know, our business is transforming a student somehow. And who does that transformation? It's the classroom teacher.
0: All the way through, whether
1: it's kindergarten or 12th grade, it is the classroom teacher. And are we doing uh, a good enough job of trying to get them involved in decisions that affect their classroom. Yeah. Good and, question. And Because I'm not in the classroom. I can tell you what I think, but I could be dead wrong. Right. And the things we talked about, there may be good reasons why classroom teachers want to do something different. Although you do have the experience of a classroom teacher. A little bit, though. But, but, but yeah. I can tell you, education changes so much. Yeah. If you've been out of the classroom a couple of years, it has changed a bunch. 10 years for me, yeah. And, and so, Um, it's important that we run our schools in a way that we don't make we're not pushing down decisions from the top down but we're finding a way to involve the real people who are transforming our students
0: Uh, well I'll say that's a good answer how about that Um, Jim it's been a pleasure thank you for being here and uh, any last words from Silent Micah Well said, Michael, well said. It was well said. Yeah, you always bring it together in the end here. I
1: appreciate that. And I guess we'll see you next week on Old Town New World.